Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Well, this morning, the King is in the room. The Healer is in the room. Our Savior is in the room. And His name is Jesus. And so, whatever kind of week you had or week you're heading into, just know that Jesus is here for you. Jesus is here to meet with you personally. He's here to meet with us corporately. And the great thing is, not only is He the King, the Healer, and the Savior, He is also alive. And He has that personal relationship with us. So I invite you to stand and let's rejoice in our God this morning that He is alive. One, two, three, four.
God, I thank You. It is amazing when I look back and see all that You have done through this body of believers. The outreach that has taken place, the lives that have, have been reborn, people that are growing in the faith and knowledge, and then the missional aspects. The missionaries that we support and the connections that we make and how the gospel is going forward from this little church on a hill. Lord, we're not the biggest and, and we are not the, the, the wealthiest. But Father, I thank You for the faithfulness of this congregation to give to You, to serve You. Lord, may You use these resources for Your kingdom's sake. And may You use us to further the gospel that people will be pulled out of darkness and into your light. We praise you and we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. King is in the room. Come see the scars of love upon i
Savior God, 
for your wisdom and your guidance and you promise that you will direct us and you will make our paths straight. We thank you that you, a God like that, are so holy to be feared and to be honored and glorified. And that's why we're here this morning. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the i 
It's great to shout and praise and lift the roof in honor and glory of you. But all these precious moments when we come into your presence and we simply bow before you. And remind ourselves that you are a holy God. That you are majestic and beyond what any words that we could come up with could even explain who you are. So we thank you for these precious holy moments when we know you are here moving in our midst revealing who you are to us we bow our knee to you the one true God the only God 
give you the worth that only you deserve this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning as we look into your word. In our Savior's name and in our soon coming King, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Often our Christian life is described as a journey, and it is. And there are times in that journey that we are going to wander in what we feel is kind of like a wilderness. We'll have those dry places, those, those difficult times, those hardships that happen in our life. And in some of the wanderings that we have, we don't feel like we're really at home. Because as a Christian, you're really never at home in this world. You just won't be. In fact, if you feel you're at home in this world, you better check yourself. Because the reality is this, this world is not our home. We are traveling through. The difficulty in the nomadic life of faith and, and being a Christian is that you can become weary in this nomadic travel of life. And in the battles that we encounter, you can get to a place where you are just battle-weary. You are tired in the fight. Tired of the fight for sure, but tired in the fight. And you're looking for that home. You're looking for that place. When am I going to finally get to that place where I feel like I'm at home and I'm out of this wilderness that's there? Yeah, and I can tell you this, that God has a home for us. But we're looking for that place to call home. I talk with many Christians that are, that are looking for churches and they're at different places and they're looking for, and we use this word church home. Why? Because the gathering of the saints can be the closest to heaven that we could ever experience when we gather together in fellowship with, the, with a heart where we're loved and we're cared for. And so within that, we look for those, those places of home. Home is a place of solitude. It's a peace. It's where our pilgrimage stops and where we can rest and we can be ourselves. Home is the place where you are loved and cared for, warts and all. Which is a good thing. It's a place where you're known best and loved the most. And we want that. It's been said that a pilgrim is anyone who is out of his country. And as we are pilgrims and passing through this land, we're looking for our homeland. And, and this world is not going to offer home for you within that. A lot of people try, though. They'll try different things on and they'll say, well, can I find my home here? Can I find my home there? Can I find my home with this group of people? Or, or can I find my home and satisfaction in doing these activities or whatever the case is? But as long as you are in a, a condition where you're not walking with Christ, you're never going to find home. You're never going to find that place. Our text this morning is, is really encouraging, but it is a bit awkward, I'll have to say. It reads kind of like a legal trustee deed, so... We're going to attack Joshua chapter 13 with a little bit of a different perspective in working through this. We're coming to a place 
where Joshua has led the nation of Israel into the land that was promised much, much earlier. God showed up in a guy's life. His name was Abraham. Do you know him? God showed up and said, Abraham, I want to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing, but you've got to leave the Ur of the Chaldees where you're living now, and you're going to go to a place that you've never been. And I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you a heritage of people, and I'm going to bless all of those people, and we know those people to be called the nation of Israel. Why? Because Abraham was a great guy? Nope. No, he was an idolater from a family of idol makers. It wasn't necessarily because he was a great guy. It's because of God's great grace. He reached out from eternity and he said to Abraham, I've chosen you. And from you, we're going to create this great group of people. And so, as the account goes, his family went to Egypt and we know the story. And Abraham's family was in Egypt about 430 years. And then they would leave Egypt and wander the wilderness for about 40 plus years within that. Now you think, how long does it take for God to keep His promise? Well, let's say about 500 years. Uh, That's much longer than we could ever imagine. You ever wonder why you say, God, how much longer am I going to be stuck with this? And God says, as long as it takes. We're coming to the text now where God is fulfilling a promise that was made over 500 years earlier within that to a group of people that were connected simply because of the grace of God. Joshua entered into this land at the age of about 79. So if you're in your 70s and you think you're done, guess what? (laughs) He ain't done yet. We're going to see that Joshua is about 100 years old and now God calls him old. So that's, that's kind of an interesting aspect. Israel is battle-weary. They've come into the land. They've fought the, the northern conquest, the southern conquest. They've defeated so many nations and people that were in that land, the kings that were all in there. Joshua chapter 1 through 12 is all about the conquest. But as we take a look at Joshua 13 all the way to 33, that's all about the inheritance being able to receive from God those promises and within this. It's also a transition of leadership. We go from Joshua, actually Moses being the, the primary leader, to Joshua being a primary leader, to now the breakup of the nation where they're all going to be within their own lands, and each family and clan and tribe was going to be responsible for their own people under what's called a theocratic leadership, and that would be God. God would be in charge. You know, that's kind of like our journey now. God's in charge. We don't serve a single leader. You don't serve, you know, any pastor or elder board. You serve the Lord. And God wants you to be responsible for your own family within this. And even in the difficult times, trusting in Him, and He will give you rest within this. So, our passage today, and then, and then also ongoing, but especially today and then, and then next week in 14, really reads kind of like a, a lawyerese kind of thing kind of description of the lands and stuff. And we're going we're gonna to kind of glaze over some of those descriptions because I think the message is super important. It's the message of inheritance. The word inheritance is used over 50 times in the last half of Joshua. 
Why is inheritance important? Because inheritance is God's promise to you. What you don't have yet, but what you will have. So church, what is your inheritance? What is your inheritance? It's eternal life in Christ. That's the gift. God promises to give to you eternal life. He doesn't necessarily promise an easy life on this world. But He promises an eternal life through His Son, Jesus. And that's the inheritance that we are looking forward to within this. God's inheritance for the nation of Israel is a type or a picture for us as Christians. As God so acted with the nation of Israel, so He acts with the church today. Israel and the church are two separate entities. But they are meant to be a model by which we can learn about God within this and the inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 37 to 39 says, Because He loved your fathers, therefore He chose their descendants after them. And He personally brought you from Egypt by His great power, driving out from before you nations, and mightier than you, to bring you in and to give you a land note for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, He is God in heaven, above and on Above and on the earth below, there is no other. If God is faithful to the nation of Israel, and He has been, will He not be faithful for you? If He brought them into their homeland and to their rest, will He not bring you home to heaven? The answer is absolutely yes within this. One of the other aspects I think is important to understand as we move into this, these tribes never owned the land. As we work through this, Israel never owned the land. The land belonged to God. And God would give the land to the nation of Israel to occupy. Notice in Leviticus 25-23, The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. This earth is not ours. We're caretakers, we're here, we occupy it. But it's not ours. I think the biggest thing that, that Christians have to understand is this is not our home. Don't get too attached to it. It's all going to burn anyways. God's got a better place for us, a new home. And God would give Israel the privilege to live in the land in relationship with Him. God gives us the privilege of living on this planet Earth in relationship with Him and to draw other people into relationship with Him. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God would give Israel the blessing of home. They were a nation that never knew a home. They were birthed in Egypt in turmoil. They wandered the wilderness. I know some of your stories. I know some of you have had a rough upbringing. You grew up in homes that were godless. You grew up in a society that was godless. You were challenged and you've had difficulties all along. God's got home for you. And the home is not the stick-built thing that you sleep in. Your home is really being with Christ within this. For Israel, they would get a homeland and a blessing from God. And God would give this promise and keep His promise all along. In Galatians chapter 3.16, it says this, 
Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather, and to your seed, that is Christ. This morning, as we work through all of this passage, there is one person that has given to you the ability to be at home. His name is Jesus. And He is the one that has provided the way for you to be at home, even when you're away from heaven. Can you still be at home while you're at earth? Yes. Because your mind and your heart resides in the presence of God. When you get that, then it doesn't matter where you're at because you'll know you're at home with Christ in God. And we have that opportunity to be home. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine, And He says this to the weary traveler. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find, note, rest for your soul. If you're weary this morning and you're beaten down and you're tired of the battles, and you're tired in the battles, you have an inheritance that, that because God was faithful to a nation, God will be faithful to you even now. And you can come to Him and find that rest for your soul. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Instead of reading through Joshua 13, I want to go, kind of go old school. Can we go old school a little bit? We're going to do a responsive reading of Psalm 16. So if you would stand, the words are going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read the odd number verses, because I'm weird. You're going to read the even number verses. I'm going to ask, though, that you guys, I know you have your Bibles, but I'm going to ask that you use the, the words that are above. Um, it'll just sound a lot better. And we'll do that. And, and as, we, as we read through this psalm of Psalm 16, it's 11 verses, just really speak out these words of truth. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. And indeed, my mind instructs me in the, light, in the night. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, turn over in your Bibles to Joshua 13. As we take a look at Joshua's account, the narrative that is here within these lands. As I said, this is kind of a, kind of reads as a trusted 
kind of designation that's within this. It's important to understand, though, for Israel it's really important because this sets the boundaries of where the tribes were going to occupy. Now, in verse 1, we start out as, as there is this declaration to set up the mission and designate the lands. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. When the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. <laughs> you know you're old when God says you're old, right? And very much of the land remains to be possessed. So, and, and within this, what we see is Joshua has been ruling as the combat leader. Moses was a specific leader that was designed by God to take the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness up to the edge. Moses doesn't get to go into the land because he misrepresented God and he struck the rock when he should have spoke to it. And as a result, God says, no, you don't get to go. Took him to the top of Mount Nebo. It says, look, this is the land, you get to see it, but you don't get to go. Now appoint Joshua, who is your number two. Now Joshua is unique because Joshua was a military leader. God appoints leaders for a reason, with their expertise. Joshua, as a military leader, would lead the conquest into the southern region, as we've covered, and into the northern region, as we've covered. He would take on the kings. He would take on Jericho and Ai and then the five kings and then the kings of the north and the whole coalition and have this huge battle that was going on. Joshua was doing that. And when he started it, and again, it's estimated somewhere between 69 to 79 years. I, I tend to lean more towards 79 years of age. Within this. Now Joshua is about 100. He's, and within this. We know that Joshua is old because God says he's old. And also in Joshua 24, 29... It says, it came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. That's old. But just because you're old doesn't mean you don't have capabilities within this. And so Joshua is now moving and transitioning from being the combat leader to the representative and to distribute the land among the tribes so that they can do what? Go home. But they've never had a home. They've never had a place to call home. Now they get to go home as a tribe and as a nation. It decentralizes, as I said, the leadership. They get to own the land that they have. They get to take responsibilities for their lives. You know, being a father of, of four, all my kids are married and they have their own homes. Praise God. I don't believe in boomerang children. You have your home. But one of the challenges is being a father and a grandfather is, is to stay in your lane and let them run their house. Why? It's their house. It's their home. So if you're a, a parent of adult children, word to the wise, it's their house. Call before you show up. That's important. Delegate the responsibility, but the idea is that they need to have their own relationship with God and they need to take responsibility for their own actions. Israel was coming into the land 150 miles long, 50 miles wide. Joshua cannot be every place at the same time. It was God's intention that all the tribes would get certain areas of the land as their inheritance within this, these 12 tribes that were there. They would own their land by clan and by family. And there would be a centralized place of worship with a theocratic 
governess, theocratic, theo being God, God would govern through the priesthood within that. And so what we're going to see also is that the tribe of Levi doesn't get land. They have something very, very special within that. But Joshua wants the families to be personally responsible. How do we know that? Because if we read at the end in Joshua 24, Joshua's speech, listen to what he says. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were idols, beyond the Jordan or beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my house, what? We will. That's got to be your distinction. Men, God holds you personally responsible for what happens in your house. You have to make that determination. Joshua is now saying to all of these tribes as he's going off scene, you are responsible for your house within this. And this new leadership would take place. God promises, though, that as this new leadership structure is set up, He's not going to leave them abandoned. It's not like, okay, you're in. You get your land. Figure it out. No. God says, I will go before you. As adults and, and, and parent of adult children, as you're helping them establish their home, one of the roles that as a parent of, a, of an adult child is you become the consultant. Right? What is the consultant? The consultant stays in his office and he waits for his clients to call him. Well, that's kind of true for parenting adult kids. You need to stay in your lane and wait for your kids to come to you and, and then give them wise counsel within this, to have that, that place that is there. Your kids are going to be terrified, though. And I find that I talk to my kids more as an adult children than I did to them as teenagers. Why? Because teenagers think they know everything and they want to let you know they know everything. Yeah, I'm talking to you guys. But the reality is when, you know, your kids get into their late 20s and early 30s and they're like going, I should have listened. I don't know how to do this. I need a little bit of help along the way. And they get scared. But here's the beauty about this passage. God says, I'm not going to leave you to fight the battles on your own. I'm going to be with you. Look at verses 2 through 7. It says this, And this is the land that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those in the Geshurites, and from Shihor, which is east of Egypt, from as far as the border of the Ekron and to the north, and it is counted as the Canaanites, and the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and the Avites, all these ites. To the south of the land and the Canaanites and Merah and, and belongings to the Sidonians, as far as Ephek, to the border of the Amorite, and the land of the Gabalite and all the Lebanon toward the east, and Belgad below Mount Hermon, as far as Lebel Hamath, and all the inhabitants of the hill from the country of Lebanon, as far as Mesroth, Maine, as the Sidons, I will note, this is the most important. I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel, only allot it to Israel for an inheritance as I've commanded you. 
Now therefore apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half a tribe of Manasseh. So what do we see? What we see is verses 2 through 5 is really a parenthetical. And it's a parenthetical statement in, in Joshua's narrative where he looks back and he says, we're in the land, we've got it, but there's still work to be done. In our mind, when we read this, we go, okay, yeah, they conquered the land and everybody, everybody's fine. No. Israel is still in a hostile land. Not everybody has been completely conquered. They still have battles. In your Christian journey, you are still always going to have battles. There's always going to be an enemy to fight. You should never let your guard down within this. But the key phrase is, God is going to take care of you. Now, did you catch a couple of names? The five kings of the Philistines. They had this, this god, it was called Dagon, it was a fish god, it was the head of a man and the, the body of a fish. They were the five lords of the Philistines. And they were the Gassite, the Ashkelonite, the Ashkelonite, and all these other ites that we mentioned. They came about 1200 B.C. from the coasts of Greece. So there were transplants that came in and they brought their idolatry with them, but they were vicious. The Philistines were tyrants. They were a very vicious group of people. And God said, go wipe them out. Go take them out. Now, when you think of this area that is there, that is part of the Ashdodites, the Aklanites, the Gittites, Ekronites, Avites, these Philistines that are there, we know that they're going to be a problem to the nation of Israel. In fact, as we read further in the Bible, there's always a battle with who? The Philistines. Because these Philistines would come over. Here is one of the keys. When you enter into that place of home, understand there are enemies outside of your home that are always going to try to come in and attack. And you've got to cut off every opportunity. Gath was part of it. Can you remember or think of a guy that was a giant that David would have to go against? His name was what? Goliath. Now, the other part is as these inhabitants, they get their sections of land. As we read through it, and, and you can read through it much on your own, because I'm going to paraphrase a lot. We're not going to read through all of the verses. One of the common phrases says, and they didn't dispose all of the people. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week who was struggling with sin and struggling with darkness in, in, in their life and some of the things that were going on. And I asked him, I said, is there anything in your house that should not be in your house? They said, well, I don't know. I said, you better find out. Because some of the struggles that we have as Christians in our homes comes from the remnant of sin and idolatry that we leave in the home. And it becomes an anchor that's there. And you have to go and destroy them all. There is a, to give you an idea of what this looks like, I have a map that shows you the area. So, the area of conquest is all in pink. These are the battles that Joshua had fought with the nation of Israel and owned. Notice what is in green. This whole area was all land that still had to be conquered. We're talking about the Philistines that are right here in this area, just east of Judah. Does anybody know the modern name of that area today? Gaza. 
When you hear in the news about the Gaza Strip, is it a problem for the nation of Israel today? Yes. I've been to Israel multiple times. And I was there uh, not too long ago where we were traveling in Jerusalem and there was rockets that were being fired off of Gaza. When we go to Bethlehem in March, we're going to be really close to that area. Now, what would it have been like if Israel would have wiped out that land? What would it have been like if Israel would have not fallen back into idolatry and been disposed? What would it have been like if in 70 A.D. Israel and Jerusalem didn't fall, but they would have remained in that land? You ever wonder why? They never owned their home. They never really owned their home. They were weary travelers that were given a home, but they never completely owned it. And never wiped out the people that God had told them to take out. They were occupying the land, but they never made it their home. Before Joshua would begin to distribute the inner section of the land, which is what we would call the Cisjordanian to the nine and a half tribes, he's got to acknowledge the two and a half tribes that are on the outside. And that's really chapter 13. Chapter 14 is the distribution of the land that is inside. So Joshua in verses 8 to 13 begins to distribute the land within this. And so he says this, and he's recognizing these tribes that are And he says, while the other half of the tribe, the Reubenites, the Gadites, received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan to the east, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to them. And then there's this huge, long description all the way through 13, which is a general assessment of the land. Note verse 14. Only to the tribe of Levi he did not give an inheritance, the offering by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, and their inheritance. And he spoke to them. So I want to show to you now the distribution of the land. So chapter 13 describes the borders that would run all the way from the north to Mount Hermon, all the way along through Ammon down here to Reuben. Reuben, note, is this little pink section. Gad is the purple. East Manasseh is this area here. This is the Sea of Galilee, Hula. Dan is up here in the north. Dead Sea is at the bottom. So the distribution, this whole area was distributed by Moses. Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. You say, well, Kerry, why is that important? It's important because this group of people came up short of really owning their homeland. One of the difficulties that we, that we find in people that don't own their homeland is that they don't own it because they take the easy way. They don't put any effort. They just go, ah, I'm here, it's good, we're okay, we're just managing. Church, understand this. Owning your home is different than managing your home. Owning your home takes a full commitment in following everything that God says versus managing your home is, hey, this looks like it's good for me. I'll just settle here. And there are two types of, of, of understanding the home. There is settling for whatever happens or really taking captive the home and owning it. You say, well, Carrie, what do you mean? Over in Genesis chapter 13, 
there was an account of a guy by the name of Lot. Who was Lot? Abraham's nephew. Now, when God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, God called Abraham. He didn't call Lot. He called Abraham. But Abraham said, hey, I'm going to take Lot with me. Not a great choice, but he did. Takes Lot with him, which proves to be a problem. Because Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds start having a fight about where to keep their sheep. And much like Lot... These two and a half tribes, they settle. Listen to the account in Genesis 13, 10 to 11. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zor. And Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot sojourned eastward and thus separated from each other. What did Lot do? Abraham and Lot, they're coming up. Jason, if I can have that map up again, that'd be really helpful. They're coming up through the land. Sodom and Gomorrah is down in here, and they're moving up through this land within this, up towards Moab within this area. This was the land that God had determined for Abraham. But Lot looked over and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah in the south. And he says, I think I've gone far enough. I'm going to settle in here. Why? It looks good. Who was leading Abraham to his home? Yahweh God. Who was leading Lot to his home? Lot. And because Lot was following his own intuition, he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Was that a good choice or a bad choice? Bad choice. One, he separated himself from the one that was connected to God. And two, he chose as the, as the world would choose accordingly. Because it was easy. Now, compare that to what the two and a half tribes say in Numbers. When they come to the same area of land that they're going to occupy. In Numbers 32, 1-2, to, um, to it says this, And now the, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had exceedingly large numbers of livestock... Catch it. And so when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession, and do not take us across the Jordan. Does that sound similar to Lot? Absolutely. And you say, well, Carrie, what's the problem? they got a lot of livestock. It sounds reasonable. It was because God never intended that to be their home. It was not intended for them to stay there. But they looked and they said, it looks reasonable. Church, do not make decisions based on human reason. Follow the leading of God. Follow the commands of God. Do what God says. If you base decisions based on reason, you set yourself up for a world of hurt. How do I know that? Who owns that land now that was Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh? Jordan. What happened? The Assyrians 
And the Moabites would continually attack them because there was no natural barrier of the Jordan River to designate that land. And so these people would come in all the time. Two, these two and a half tribes were separated from the core of spiritual worship that was in the land. So they were at a distance. Three, when Israel was judged, these two and a half tribes were the first ones that were captured because they didn't have the rest of the tribes to help protect them. And I find that in people's journey. They make a decision for their household and for their family because it seems like it's the right thing to do. Because it's going to meet our needs. But when they make that decision that separates them from worship and from fellowship and from protection of the church body, they're fodder for the enemy and will be destroyed. And so now, when we take a look at that separation of the land, it's, it's no longer there. They thought they were getting an inheritance. They weren't. Now, verse 14 sets up verse 33. Interesting on the Levites. Why did the tribe of Levi not get any land? God says, you're not going to get any land. You're going to get something better. You know what you're going to get? You're going to get the best. Well, wait a minute. I want land. God says, no. You know what's the best? Representing me and serving me to the people. Your inheritance is going to be the Lord. You're going to receive provision. The tribe of Levi would be separated in 48 different cities throughout the land. You say, well, Carrie, that doesn't make sense. Why would they decentralize the tribe of Levi? Because the tribe of Levi in 48 different cities would bring the presence of God in all of the different regions. So that the theocratic government would be able to be there. What would it be like? The local church. It would be like the local church. The tribe of Levites would represent sacrifice so people could worship on a regular basis that's right there. Which is interesting. It also refers back to God's command to Aaron. Deuteronomy chapter 18, 1-5 says this, And the Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion of inheritance with Israel... They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire in his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance, as he's promised them. And now this shall be priests due from the people who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep. And they shall give to the priests the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. Hmm. I don't know about that. And you shall give them the first fruits of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the first shearings of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and serve in the name of the Lord forever. You know what he, God says? The, the Levites are going to get their inheritance. So when people would bring their offerings unto the Lord, the tribe of Levites, the Levites that were serving, would get the best of that. That would be their provision. That's how God intended in his theocratic economy was God was going to be in charge and those that were working under him, would be get, they would get the first fruits or the best of what was brought into sacrifice that was there. And that's a pretty good deal. You know, you think about it. Tri-tip, filet mignon. Yeah, menudo. Menudo's good, actually. The problem is Israel in their sin would neglect the serving of the Levites. 
And over time, as their love for God grew cold, so did the provision within the uh, tribes of Levi. Nehemiah 13, 10-11 says this. As Nehemiah is reestablished in land, he says, I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. What had happened? Israel had abandoned worship. The provision for the Levites no longer existed. And so the Levites had to leave their post of of serving to go provide for their own families. And so when we think about ministry, those that, that, that work hard at serving ministry then would receive that from the Lord. But when people stop giving as unto the Lord, then it starts hindering that work within that. How do we know that even today? Because Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians and he says this, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly the altar have their share of the altar? Pastorally, Pastor Mike, Pastor Tom, and Pastor Kerry, me, we, this is our provision for our family. But if there is no provision for our family, then what do we need to do? Go get a job. And there's many bivocational pastors that do that. And that's okay. But how are we to live? Commensurate to the people that we serve within that. And I think that's imperative to understand. Being in ministry is not a means by becoming rich. It's not. It's a means of serving the Lord, and the Lord is our provision within that. So the tribe of Levi was intended to receive their provisions there. That was their inheritance. That was there. Chapter, or verses 13 all the way to 33, again, as I said, reads as more or less a breakdown to the three and a half tribes. What Joshua does is he breaks it down to each tribe and what their borders are. We're not going to belabor and read all the way through that, but I do want to give you some highlights. And Jason, if I could have that map up again, please, that would be great. So the first tribe that he covers in these verses is Reuben down here, down by the Dead Sea, within this area. It's not a very big area. One of the things that I think it's important to understand is that God does not give just based on, on well, you, you, you're really good, I'm going to give you a lot. You're not so good, I'm going to give you a little. God is the one that owns the land and he breaks it up. The tribe of Reuben had, according to Numbers 26-7, 43,730 people. Now it's important to understand these numbers because there's different spaces of land, but about kind of the same numbers that are there. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, according to 1 Chronicles 5.1. He was the firstborn, but yet he didn't receive double inheritance because he defiled his father's bed. His birthright was given to his son Joseph and son of Israel, so he did not enroll in the genealogy and the birthrights. Because Reuben thought it was a good idea to go sleep with Bilhah, um, Jacob's concubine, he was cursed and he didn't get the birthright. So when you take a look at Ephraim and Manasseh, you say, well, why isn't there a land given to Joseph? Because Joseph got the double blessing and it went to Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons, within this. Yet he still wasn't left off. And we can see the the border that he had was given and and designated. One of the key parts of Reuben, though, where he did something really good, 
Do you remember a guy, a prophet by the name of Balaam? Balaam was that prophet that was working for Balak, the king of Moab. And Balak says, curse Israel so that, so that we can beat him. Balaam says, okay, I'll do it. You pay me enough money and I'll do it. Well, he paid him, but God said to Balaam, you're not going to do this. In fact, they had that encounter with the donkey where the donkey talked to him. The donkey was smarter than the prophet. Why? Because the angel of the Lord was standing in front of him with a sword and he stops and the donkey says, I ain't going anywhere. Balaam's like, come on, stupid donkey, go, I feed you. Donkey turns around and says, nope, I'm not dying for you today. This same Balaam ends up getting killed by the tribe of Reuben. And we have a little bit of poetic justice. Gad, if I can have that map, verses 24 to 28, covers this region. Notice how much larger this region is within this. And you say, well, why did he get more? Why did he get a lot more? It's not right. Gad only had 40,500. Why did he get that region? Why? Because God said, says what you get. And here's a rule of thumb with God. You get what you get, don't throw a fit. God determined that's what you get. So Gad got, got that region. His description is much smaller. And then we have Manasseh in the north. And that's in verses 29 to 31. All of Manasseh was 52,700, but Manasseh only had half of their tribe where it was split into this area. This area is really nice. There's a lot of forest, there's a lot of hillside, there's a lot of trees. This is a very fertile area. Only half the tribe goes there. And so when they lived in that area, Manasseh inherited 60 different towns within that. But as you look at that map, are those tribes still there? No. Because they stopped short. They established a home in a place where God never intended them to establish within this. And so what ends up happening is they, they lose it. The last verses that I do want to look at real quickly is this. Verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses didn't give an inheritance. Why? The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. And he has promised to him. You guys, this world is not your home. This is not the place where you want to call home. We're still kind of in that wilderness. But if you value this place greater than heaven... You're going to be like the two and a half tribes that came up short. And you'll lose it all. You've got to cross over. You've got to surrender your life to God and allow Him to lead you in the way of righteousness. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but how? By me. Do not make this place your home. I know you're weary and I know you're tired. And it's difficult. Second Peter chapter 3, 11-13 says this, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought to be holy in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day? Because when, in heavens, when heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements melt in intense heat, but according to His promise, note, we are looking for a new heaven and new earth and righteousness dwells. We are looking for our home. 
I want to share with you in closing, and this will be kind of our closing song of worship. It's a song called Weary Traveler. And it's written by Jordan St. Croix. Pay attention to the lyrics. And if that's you, make it your prayer that you would find your home in Christ and that God would lead you home. Weary traveler Beat down from the storms that you have weathered Feels like this road just might go on forever Carry on You keep on giving But every day this world just keeps on taking your tired heart is on the edge of breaking. Carry on. Weary traveler, restless soul. You were never meant to walk this road alone. It'll all be worth it. So just hold on. Father God, we thank you that you don't leave us to try to figure things out on our own. You gave to the nation of Israel, Moses, and Joshua. 
and your presence through the tribe of Levi. You give to the church today your Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the presence that You afford to us, that You promise never to leave us or forsake us. I pray over those who are weary today and heavy laden. May they find their rest in You. Lead us out this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.